We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Abner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man that he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing and Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to a boxing champ. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Do birds fly? <laughs> oh! <laughs> And there you go. <laughs> Why do you think that? Tell me. Because you know, by the way, Kevin Durant's coming back. You know the Warriors are coming back. You know the teams that weren't even in the mix this year are coming back, plus the Heat, plus the Bucks, plus the Rockets. Uh, there's a lot of teams going on. The Nuggets. Let's not, let's not forget to mention Phoenix didn't even lose in the bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam, as always. Sam, how are you doing? I am good. I am excited to talk to our old buddy, who is an honorary Suns fan on this Officially. episode. Officially, as of today. Yeah, it was. It came out on a blog, which is as official as, as it gets now. Uh, joining us, our friend, honorary Suns fan, as, as Sam said, uh, Mavs Draft, a.k.a. Richard Stamen, a.k.a. Sun's draft. Rich, how you doing? 
Hey, I, I'm good. I just want to say I do own a DeAndre Aiden shirt. I, I'm not just an honorary Suns fan. I think this full time makes me a real Suns fan. Okay. That's true. I don't have, I don't even have a DeAndre Aiden shirt. <laughs> so uh, I, I, you're almost a bigger fan than, than me at this point, Rich. How, but how are you doing? Yeah. Like, how are you doing now that the draft is actually within a month? Do you feel like you have enough knowledge about these players going into this draft now? Uh, I just hit the mark where I know too much, I think, uh, and not like in a good way, uh, where like, I feel like I find like, well, this game seven versus game 30 or something. I, I don't know. It's, it's just all over the place where it just, it's too much information and I'm probably going to be horribly wrong because of it. Cause I've decided to think that everything was accurate that I've been thinking in this <laughs> overthinking era, uh, which is not going to be true at all. So I will look like an idiot. <laughs> you know, I except think, for everything I say on here. Of course, yeah. Besides that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. We're allowed to look. If we weren't allowed to look like an idiot on this podcast, it would have ended already uh, with <laughs> with Sam and I hosting. So long that's time allowed. Ago, long time ago, yeah. It's allowed. Um, we're going to talk about coming up. We're going to talk about point guards in this draft. I think we've gotten to the point where uh, there have been enough rumors about the Suns uh, talking to. Kira Lewis Jr., for example, that there's an assumption that maybe they are looking at point guards a little more seriously. Uh, so we're going to delve into some of those point guards in more detail coming up. Before we got to that, I wanted to just talk about something that I just heard recently. Uh, it was on the Low Post podcast. Bill Simmons was on my favorite. And he and Zach both talked about Chris Paul, once again, as a potential option for the Suns. Now, what I was worried about when I heard this happen, because somebody told me, uh, our friend David Nash actually told me uh, that, that this happened. I was worried that it was going to be a rumor. Like it was like, I heard the Suns are interested in Chris Paul. Didn't seem like that. It just seemed like something that they thought was a realistic possibility. We touched on it briefly. Obviously, I was a guest on the Uncontested podcast, the OKC podcast about it. So I had a longer conversation there. But Sam, I wanted to get your thoughts a little bit on, <laughs> on Chris Paul. Do just, you now? Yeah, I'm curious what you think. Well, I mean, my and they I, said Rubio. I, they said Rubio and Ubre for Chris Paul. By the way, they didn't say any picks. They just said those two guys, which works sure uh, under the cap, and you can get Chris Paul at that point. Sure, and I think that's interesting because I think the conversation we had previously there was this underlying idea that there would be some sort of draft capital that the Suns would have to give up. Maybe it would be the tenth pick. Maybe it would be a pick swap of some sort. So if you don't have to do that, that's great. Um, look, I'm still a little bit nervous about the prospect of of that trade. I think it's interesting that you bring it up here to <laughs> to start the episode. Obviously, looking for um, well, it has to be a little bit validating for you, right? Because uh, you're kind of the only one in your own little corner of Suns Twitter, I think, <laughs> <laughs> like openly advocating for the Chris Paul to the Suns trade. I would accept it, and in yeah. a lot of ways, I I do think it makes the Suns a, a better team. Yeah. Um, basically what I'm telling you is, you know, if it happens and we have the emergency podcast episode about Chris Paul, the Suns, <laughs> I'll talk myself into it, but it's not, right, it's right. not option A, B, C, D, or E for me this off season. Yeah. I, you know, Rich, from an outsider's perspective, do you think it's insane to even consider the idea of Chris Paul on the Suns for that trade? Or what do you think? Cause I know I've talked to a few non Suns fans about this. Uh, like Josh Eberly, for example, him and I had a conversation about it in the DMs, and he thinks it's insane that Suns fans won't even consider the idea of Chris Paul. Like he thinks that it's something that we should be begging for, uh, which is a perspective that I, I'll be honest, I didn't expect from him. But what do you think about it, Richard, from your perspective? 
Yeah, I haven't heard that uh, that Rubio for Ubre deal. That's a steal. Like, don't get me wrong. Obviously, Rubio is really good for y'all this year. Uh, and Ubre seems like he's kind of not not like in terms of play, but like in terms of fan value, he's kind of you know he's peaked. Uh, people have kind of seen enough of him. I don't know. That seems like such a good deal that if there's no picks involved, you take that and run. That's interesting. Uh, and I think that more often than not, that is what, and I don't mean to say this about you, Rich, but that is what non-Suns fans will tend to think. Uh, <laughs> because, Did you just call uh, me a non-Suns fan <laughs> after all we just talked about? <laughs> you know, uh, Chris Paul is top 10. He was top 10 in the NBA in VORP last season. I'm going to throw around some advanced stats. I apologize for this. He was 10th. He was ninth in win shares in the entire NBA. He was the only point guard in the top 10 in VORP and win shares in the NBA because uh, it's a little harder to do that. A lot of times when you're not getting like some of the easier stats like rebounds, um, it's difficult for a point guard to be that high in those advanced stat categories. That makes him one of the better players in the NBA. And in general, I don't think it's going to happen, but I think there's a possibility just because of that Monty Williams connection that they have. But... I do think that he is a really great player and 35, although it is old, that is like, he is technically he would be starting this season younger than Steve Nash was in the 2009, 2010 season that they went to the Western conference finals. Uh, And, and like, as far as aging players goes, I, I feel like Chris Paul will age closer to that Steve Nash trajectory than a lot of other trajectories. I, you know, I understand why people hate it though. Like I, I definitely get why people hate it. I mean, look, Bill and uh, well, I forget if it was Bill or Zach, but one of them brought up the idea also that you'd still have not cap space uh, in that situation, but you would still have your access to uh, the mid-level exception. That's like nine or $10 million mm-hmm. to go out and get a good free agent, uh, um, you know, alongside those guys. So you could build around a team of Chris Paul at point guard, Devin Booker at shooting guard. You keep Mikhail Bridges, you keep Cam Johnson. Obviously you have DeAndre Ayton anchoring. You keep the 10th pick. And like, that's maybe enough of a proposition. Like there are so few teams that have cap space this year that we know there are some decent unrestricted free agents who might get like 12 to $15 million in a normal year, but who might slip through the cracks and become MLE guys this year. And if you enter the the um, negotiating room with them, you know, with Chris Paul on your right hand and Devin Booker on your left. And, and Monty Williams, yeah. And Monty Williams, and it's a veteran like, you know, who, who, like I said, might get overpaid in another year, but maybe it's a guy like Justin Holiday we've talked about, or maybe it's a guy like Joe Harris, maybe it's a guy like Jay Crowder, I don't know, could be, you know, any number of veterans, but you could make a good pitch there and you, you could assemble a, a pretty damn good team next season. Yeah. Um, I don't know, it's interesting. Well, I think the, I'm glad you ended there because uh, that's the the main thing that gets stuck in my mind when I think about this, because I have all of the concerns that other people have. He's old. What if he gets injured? That's the big part. And of course he makes $40 million a year, but in general, when I work out every single option for the Suns, the best team that I can work out in a single off season usually includes Chris Paul, because that's how good he is. And it's rare that players that are essentially top 10 players in the NBA based on advanced stats become available regardless of how much they make. I don't really care when they're that good. It is what it is. I do want to ask you, Rich, though, when I looked at teams that Chris Paul should be traded to, that makes sense for him. There's obviously like a lot of people say the Milwaukee Bucks. It's actually kind of hard for them with the amount of money he makes. You know, the the Suns are lucky that maybe their second or third best player, whatever you want to say, in DeAndre Ayton is still on a relatively low rookie deal. So you can kind of make moves like that. 
Luka Doncic is still on his rookie deal. And the Mavericks could capitalize on that rookie deal by trying to get a larger contract now. Is that even a possibility in Mavs fans' minds at all, the idea of Chris Paul on the Mavericks? or I, I haven't looked at contracts to see if it would work out in any way, but have you even considered it? Uh, well, you asked if it's possible in the minds of any Mavs fan. Let me tell you, some Mavs fans have fantasized about getting Giannis and Chris Paul uh, <laughs> while keeping Porzingis and Luka. So, yes, it is completely <laughs> possible. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean realistically it, it would take a lot i mean i think it would be sacrificing a lot of depth uh and i mean if there is one team that could make the most out of uh vet minimums all around the board it is probably dallas that's always been rick carlisle and donnie nelson's uh forte is just getting a lot out of nothing so i want to say yes it could work but i mean that contract would eat up just so much space it it that's a worry for me. Although he would be a great fit. Like the, the talent, I, I really do think they could make a, you know, a run at the conference finals at the least. Yeah. I think to me, that is a potential title team. Uh, the obvious fear <laughs> Luca, is, uh, is health. Luca, KP, yeah. Giannis, Chris Paul, and like 10 Bobons. That's, that's, a, <laughs> that's a championship contending team for sure. <laughs> it's all about keeping KP healthy, I think. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, there's scenarios where it makes sense. There's scenarios where it doesn't. I understand that a lot of Suns fans are completely split and divided on this. And uh, I guess I am sort of the lone voice saying, I think it could work. Um, but, you know, it just has, I think it has the highest like disaster uh, possibility. I think of a lot of the scenarios that Suns fans uh, tend to bring up and I don't blame people for being afraid of the option with the highest disaster possibility. You're uh, just a, a tortured genius, uh, Mike V Hill. That's all it is. And maybe you're not quite understood yeah, in your own time, own but a hundred yeah. years from now, people will understand what you were trying to 100 do. A hundred years from now, when the earth is barely habitable, <laughs> uh, people, people will be writing my name on the, the walls of the caves that they live in. Uh, all right, Rich, let's get into the draft. Obviously, you've had a lot of time to think about it. We've had a lot of time to think about it. There's The, the Suns need a, a point guard of the future at some point going forward. There's essentially four point guards that we've sort of identified that could be a possibility for the Suns based on where they're picking, some of them more likely than others. Uh, Killian Hayes, Tyrell Terry, Tyrese Halliburton, and Kira Lewis Jr. Kira Lewis Jr. now is rumored to have had multiple meetings with the Suns. Uh, in a lot of the draft boards that I see, Kira Lewis Jr. is actually last of those point guards uh, as far as a lot of uh, draft boards. Is that the case with with yours, Rich? No, no. Uh, the guy I have last, I think, is actually like the biggest darling of the four you named. Uh, of Sun's Twitter. So that this is a terrible start question for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What's the order of those four for you? I actually, so I actually think it's not to the extent you think, though. Um, yeah, Rich, because oh, I know I who you're talking is. about, but we could talk about it. It's it's my it's one of my hot takes. So I, I think it is actually. Um, but it's uh, in order. I have Killian Hayes at the top. He's number four uh, on my big board, and then. Um, Actually, no, sorry. The guy I was thinking of is actually third. Uh, and then you said Kyra Lewis was the one of them, uh, right? So he mm -hmm. would be two. Uh, and then 
Tyrese Halliburton is three. That's who I thought was my lowest. And then I have okay. Tyrell Terry in the in the very early thirties. I just worry really? about his weight, even though even though he's added a lot, his he's going to be in the defense. Like his defense is going to be competing with Trey Young, Dar- Darius Garland, whoever else you want to throw in there. Like he's mm-hmm. going to be the worst defender in the league mm-hmm. in that conversation. In the mm-hmm. nicest so- way, is no disrespect to him. It's just an early in his career. I mean, he's I mean he's a few pounds heavier than me. So I mean, like I'm five ten. <laughs> so so let me ask you this, Rich. I think on a good day. If I want to focus in on one of these four guys first, I think the first guy I want to talk about is Kyra Lewis, as the guy who's yeah. had two two interviews with the Suns already. I think it's been a step. We've talked a little bit about Killian Hayes back when Spencer Perlman was uh was on our podcast. This was a couple months ago now, but I think it's well established that Killian Hayes falling to 10 is um unlikely <laughs> at best. Um, and, and I think the vast majority of draft people that we could possibly talk to would say, if he's there, you take him, no questions asked, especially compared to these other guys. Um, in your, you you have a podcast as well. And in your last mock draft, this was a couple of weeks ago, earlier in the month, uh, Killian Hayes was off the board, but at 10th overall, Kyra Lewis was still on the board. Tyrell Terry was still on the board and Tyrese Halliburton. Um, all three were available and you opted for Kyra Lewis to, to Phoenix. Can you explain why you put him above those other two guys for Phoenix, uh, maybe in terms of fit or in terms of talent, whatever your justification was. Yeah. So I, uh, I really like just the, I, I, I guess I like the way that he fits next to Devin Booker. It's really simple. Uh, I think he has the easiest fit next to Booker. He can create for himself at a high level. He, he, I think he gets the on off game with Booker really well. I think far and away of the three that were there, uh, he's the best at, you can easily afford Booker to go off the court. And how often have you been able to say that, like as a Suns fan, I mean, Mm -hmm. when Booker goes off, you really don't have many creators. I mean, obviously Rubio, uh, but. No, but I mean, even even this year was off. Yeah. And I mean, he can create so much better for himself. I really trust the jump shot. I mean, he's unbelievably fast and the upside is crazy high. Uh, I think that's the thing people are really sleeping on. He's really helpful now and he's really skinny. And as he adds weight, I think he's going to be a really good player from this draft, like easily top 10 player from this draft. Wow. Okay. Well, well maybe expand on that a little bit because here's the thing. I think the first thing that everyone learns about Kyra Lewis, you watch him in the open court, you hear people Mm -hmm. say he's the fastest player in the draft. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's this natural tendency, I think, to to maybe you know he's not a guy necessarily who I've seen people talk about having a very high ceiling so I think actually it's an interesting point of differentiation maybe with you even though he's a younger player I mean higher ceiling in terms of like you know really above average quality starting point guard to all-star level point guard like I think when people hear fastest player in the draft they get excited and think maybe this is a player in the same build as Darren Fox. Hmm. Maybe this is a player in the same build as John Morant. I know like I shouldn't overuse, you know, player comparisons to specific guys, but, but that's kind of the type of athletic build you think about. But in actuality, I think there are some differences in, in the game between, between Kyra Lewis, maybe, you know, in terms of things like finishing in terms of maybe being a little bit contact avoidant. Um, not generating as many free throws, maybe playmaking stuff as well. So when you say you think his ceiling is being slept on, what exactly do you mean? What do you think that that ceiling really is? Yeah, so I think he's going to be a really sh- solid two-way player. Uh, for a guy who I think he's like 186, what is he, 6'3", 180, something like that. Something uh, like that, yeah. Which is like, it's small in terms of weight, but like f- average in terms of height, like maybe below average. 
Uh, I've always felt like he fights over screens incredibly well for someone his size. Like he doesn't give up on defense. And I think as he adds weight, that's going to become even better. And he covers so much ground that in, in NCAA, obviously it's a little bit different than the NBA where he can stop these guys from their drive quicker, but the amount of ground he can cover on defense, that's where his speed is most impressive. Like the offensive speed is cool. Don't get me wrong, but the defense is where I see it the most. Uh, and I think once he continues to physically grow, you're going to see a really, a really solid two-way point guard that, I mean, I think he could easily average 15 points a game and be an, a really good defender. Uh, like 15 and six, seven, something like that. I mean, that's, that's a really capable starting point guard. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, that's almost Jeff Teague's numbers when he was an all-star. I could be wrong on that. Yeah, but I mean, no, that's, you are. You that's are. like a borderline, that's, that's a borderline all-star. That's legit. Yeah, like, that's legit for sure. Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting that you say that. And, you know, I have a, a little more questions about this, but just to get this out of the way here, like, for example, Kevin O'Connor on his draft board, you know, Kevin O'Connor, one of our favorite analysts here on the podcast, because he, he reps the Suns pretty well. He has Kira Lewis Jr. as 14th on his, his board. Uh, and, you know, you had him going 10th to the Suns. Why do you think it is that he has him a little bit lower on, on his board uh, then, then maybe you would consider him. What is it about his ceiling that is having him a little lower? Because like most, most of the draft boards that I see have him lower than tenth. Uh, and so, if the Suns are to pick him, some people will automatically view that as a reach. It doesn't seem to be a reach to you, but why do you think that other people would view that as a reach? I think there. It's just honestly about the other people in the class. I don't even think it's anything about him. I, I mean. There's a lot of people who have Tyrese Halliburton higher than him. Uh, I personally could not ever get on that hill myself. Uh, same with Tyrese Maxey. I don't think either of those guys really have an argument over Cairo Lewis uh, on boards. And I think it's – honestly, I think it's just a philosophy thing. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, my comparison for Cairo Lewis is, I think, at his low end, uh, obviously before his Achilles injury, is Mario Chalmers. That's who I put down. Uh, just as this solid guy who, at the worst, he's going to be a winning player uh, on a good team like obviously we saw you know a different version of him with LeBron but when he was in Memphis he was a good player uh, before he went down and then also another Memphis guy Mike Conley I think they have a lot of similarities you know the shooting inconsistency um, but it, that's not a flashy like that's not a flashy sexy kind of pick right. you know that neither of those guys are all-stars whereas if you put you know a lot of these other guys have all-star comparisons which I try to avoid at all costs <laughs> so I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's just a philosophy thing and kind of just seeing the other people as more appealing because his game doesn't jump out kind of, you know, like he doesn't, right. he never had a big, big game. Like, I mean, Tyrese Halberton had a 20, 10 and 10 game, uh, like things like that. It just doesn't jump, I guess. Well, and I think, you know, we can get into Halliburton's game a little bit more in, in just a second, but I think what's so interesting about the difference in philosophies there that you're talking about, like Tyrese Halliburton is an efficient advanced stats player you know advanced stats love him but from a philosophical standpoint he doesn't do a lot of the things that, that Kyra Lewis Jr. does you know like it's it seems to me and correct me if I'm wrong but just from from what I've watched like the selling point here isn't just that he's the fastest player in the draft isn't just that he's young and and you know a little bit raw and, and has time to plug into a system and develop him but the selling point is this is a solid potentially three-level scorer He's got the in-between game, he's got mm. the finishing game, and he's got the jump shot that you can buy into. And maybe he's not super elite at all of those things. Maybe he's not even super elite at any of those things. 
but you put those three things together in an NBA body with the athleticism that he has. And it just seems like you have to give it a little bit of time because he was a 17 year old freshman. He's still only 19 years old today. So, so you might have to wait two or three or even four years, but you put all those things into one player and it just doesn't seem like there's that much bust potential there. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I have the Chalmers four is, I mean, Chalmers was a starter on a title team. Like that's where he is. He's an impact player. I think personally day one, I do think he's the, he's an impact player. I don't, I don't think he's going to struggle as much. Uh, Even at that age. The other, that's yeah, interesting. I, I think, I think he'll step in uh, pretty quick and I don't think his ceiling is crazy high or anything. I just also don't see his floor as, you know, being worse than really a rotation player. Yeah. I could I think... be wrong, obviously, but. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll just preface this entire podcast then any of us could be wrong about anything uh for, for the record <laughs> we're all just you know we're making as educated guesses as we possibly can uh kira lewis jr i think for people who have not watched him uh obviously he's very fast i think what i've noticed in in the research that i did specifically for this episode when i kind of was trying to zero in on him a little bit more uh is his pick and roll work, his footwork, especially the way he's able to sort of drive defenders into the screen does not look like a 19 year old. He looks really poised and really confident when running, uh, running the show as far as offensively. But some people have described his playmaking as, as something that he needs to improve on maybe even dramatically for a lot of people. And maybe this is one of the reasons you view him as, as a good uh, sort of fit next to Devin Booker, because he, he, with what he can do currently, he can fit as a secondary playmaker. What do you think about his playmaking? And do you think that it's the type of thing where you can see a path for it to easily become a primary playmaker at some point uh, in his NBA career, maybe sooner rather than later? Yeah, I really like his playmaking. Uh, my favorite thing about his playmaking is, uh, and, and it's a common play in the NBA, is driving kick. Like he's mastered it. He can get to the corner. He can get back to the top of the key and get to the elbows. He's really good at just finding open teammates, which the assists don't really reflect that because at Alabama, there were, they didn't have a lot of offensive talent. They had him and John Petty were the two guys. Like they're, they're not a strong team. So the, the assists don't jump out. Uh, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about. Like the stats are just not sexy at all for him. I don't think like they're very pedestrian, I would say right. compared to the rest yeah. of the class. Um, but I mean, he's, I can't remember what his, uh, I'm looking it up now, but they shot, you know, the, the three-point line in the NCAA this year is the closest it's ever been to the NBA three-point line. It's like a six inches or something different. He shot 37%. Um, like he's, I think he's per, honestly per, like NBA ready and the pick and way he uses the pick and rolls. Mm -hmm. He just, he has the NBA plays down already. Euro the simple plays, obviously. He's got a nice Euro yeah, in the Euro step. Yeah. Yep. And you know, with, with the stats, it's just like, I don't sweat it with the 19 year old guys. If there's any, I used to worry about it a lot. Now, if it's a freshman and I recognize that Lewis is a sophomore, but especially if it's a freshman and sometimes with a sophomore too, if they're younger, I just don't even care. Like Mikhail Bridges is a 19 year old at Villanova was putting up like five points per game. You know, he turned out into an impact player. So I, I think it's what's more surprising to hear from you, Richie is I'm prepared to draft this guy. I think it's a good idea. I'm prepared to draft this guy with the expectation of I'm not expecting anything until year three, at least maybe year four. So it's it, what's a little bit surprising to hear from you is that you say, no, he can come in on day one and maybe he's not like a good point guard, but he can do stuff. That's, that's interesting to me. 
Yeah, and, and it's on both ends, too. I mean, he's a playmaker on both ends. Like, he forces turnovers. Uh, and I, I don't think he's careless with the ball where he takes a lot of reckless chances, which to me is something that I always look for as NBA ready. Like, if you're, you're you know, always going for the home run play, that's not an NBA ready skill set. You have to know when. And he knows when and how, and he's 19. So that's always, that's super impressive to me. Now, I do want to shift over a little bit. First of all, you're selling me on Kira Lewis Jr. better than <laughs> anyone else has so far. Although I will say just watching the, watching the tape, like you know, like you said, ignore the stats, just watch the tape. Uh, the dude's got nice footwork. He, he looks like a guy who understands basketball pretty well. And is it an NBA body. Is it a little blasphemous to say that I see like a little bit of Eric Bledsoe? Is that like a stupid comparison? This is why I was watching. I was watching earlier today. He doesn't have the same body type, but I don't know. There's something, there's something about kind of the poise with finishing. I guess I didn't watch a ton of Bledsoe in uh, back in college. So maybe that didn't develop until later in his NBA career, honestly. I don't think it's blasphemous. It's funny. (laughs) Just to think about the idea. I I think the thing that, that reminded me of it was like, so are we going to go full circle on a Bledsoe, uh, you know, Booker backcourt at, at, at the end of this? Wait, and then he, is Bledsoe from Alabama? Isn't he from? Oh, uh, yeah, he is. He's from Birmingham. <laughs> that's actually really hilarious because that's, you know, he, he didn't just go to college in Alabama. Uh, Kira Lewis Jr. He's also from Alabama. So that's actually pretty funny to think about. Uh, they're even from the same place. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's blue wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, but I do want to talk about Killian Hayes, even even if it is unlikely that Killian Hayes is available for the Suns. There have been some rumors that the Suns are also looking to move up. This was in an athletic ar- article recently. 
the article itself, for the record, I don't mean to scare you, Sam. I don't know if you read this, was about Obi Toppin. Uh, they don't know who's interested in Obi Toppin, but there are rumors that the Suns are considering moving up in the draft. Say they do, maybe, I don't think it's likely they're going to do it for Obi Toppin, but say they do for someone like Killian Hayes. You have him fourth. Kevin O'Connor has him first. Uh, I've seen him as low as 10th. I don't really see him past where the Suns are picking. Why do you have him so high and why do other people not? <laughs> it seems like kind of weird that he is kind of all <laughs> over the place on, uh, on other people's draft boards. Yeah, so I mean, I think the reason, I, I can start with why he's low. The left hand is, he relies on it 90% of the time. Like he doesn't have a right hand right now. I would, I, if teams forced him right, he would probably get beat every single time. Um, that's, that's a huge issue. Like the NBA readiness isn't exactly strong. However, he's still, he's almost elite at creating his own shot left-handed. Uh, he can do that at an incredibly high level where it almost outweighs it, like not completely, but, uh, in the right situation, it could, I think that's why, uh, he's just such a good space creator, you know, incredible pull-up jumper for someone with his age and experience. Uh, and he's really good in the pick and roll. Like those are all huge traits you have to have. Uh, as a guard in the NBA is, you know, the space creation and being able to thrive in the pick and roll. So I think that's why people are high on him. And then obviously, you know, the left hand and the weight, and he's pretty bad in the pick and roll on defense. That's why people are probably low on him, but I don't see him getting past Detroit. I think Detroit's his four, uh, not to be a Debbie Downer, but. <laughs> Do you think those flaws that you're talking about uh, are mostly related to the fact that he's 18 currently? And, yes. And, oh, he's six, he's six, five. He's got a six, eight wingspan. Like he's built <laughs> technically, I guess he is a point guard, right? Uh, we, we all sort of view him uh, as a point guard, but he's kind of built like a, like Devin Booker, like a, like a shooting guard in a lot of ways with longer arms. Uh, you know, it, and you just wonder how, how much his, his defense can improve from there. Now you talked about Kira Lewis Jr. Potentially being someone who could contribute immediately. It doesn't sound like maybe you feel that way about Killian Hayes right away. He is younger, not much younger, but younger. Uh, but you just, is that true? And do you just see him as somebody that has a higher ceiling in the long term? Yeah, so I think it is a long-term thing, but I don't think his year one is that bad. It's the And this isn't who I'm comparing him to as a player comparison. It's not at all of this. But uh, De'Aaron Fox, for example, wasn't good in his rookie year, uh, but he showed flashes. And then by year two, he just took off. I think a similar trajectory for him is pretty realistic uh, because defense, the defense will come with weight. I mean, you said it, plus three wingspan. He has quick feet on defense. Um, and as he adds weight, you know, that is a big part of defense. I think he'll be fine on that end. I don't think he's ever going to be like, you know, someone you rave about, but he'll not be terrible, which is in my opinion, fine on defense. That's all you need. It's just not to be bad. Um, so I think it'd be like a one year kind of hump and then he gets over it. That's, that's kind of how I feel on him. That's why I have him for it. Yeah. I mean, I think someone with his level of vision, right? Like that's, what's so cool about yep. him. Um, that combined with the space creation, I think that makes a lot of sense. You, you kind of buy into him, maybe not <laughs> doing too great uh, in year one. I mean, he'll, he'll make some sort of impact. He'll definitely show flashes. He'll basically be, um, well, I'm not even going to make this comparison. This would be blasphemous. I was about to compare him to, to Elliot Kobo. Um, he, he will do, he will be like, he'll be Elliot Kobo's best case scenario for prime Elliot Kobo in year one. Um, and what I mean by that is he will, he will show us the space creation. He'll hit some, maybe step back threes and pull up threes. Um, he'll show this. 
it it might take him a little bit of time to adjust to to the NBA speed and making advanced reads in the pick and roll. But based on the film I've seen of him, um, I have no doubt that that he gets there eventually. So yeah, he's awesome. But uh, it's it's just probably not going to happen, right, Richie? Yeah, yeah, it would have to take a trade. Uh, I mean, for me, it's like seven. Is that right? Yeah, I think that that would be the team you have to hump. But I I do think it's going to be Chicago is the team that ends up taking him. It just makes too much sense with the lead guard space creation, even though it'd be their like third guard. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's the team that ends up taking him. Yeah, that's it's interesting. I think I another mean, go ahead, Sam. No, you, you go. Well, I was gonna change the topic to another player here. So, so was I. I oh, go well, ahead. <laughs> no, it's I, I think I we said we were gonna talk about Halliburton and now I feel bad. I, I almost want to steer the direction like the this other guy is the wild card Tyrell Terry. Is that, is that where we want to go next? I think he's pretty cool because that he's, he's the wild card. And so the reason I switched the subject to him is just because we talked about the space creation. It's like, why trade up for Killian Hayes? If you can buy into the space creation of this other guy, the the mystery box, if you will. And and (laughs) I'll be honest with you, Richie, I think Terry is a fascinating player only because I knew literally nothing about him until like three or four weeks ago when there was that tweet <laughs> that said, cause, cause the whole selling point, this is a guy who, from my understanding, again, correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, my understanding, this is a guy, no one doubted his shot all season long. He's been a phenomenal shooter, like 99th percentile in catch and shoot efficiency. Also a guy who is young and for a guy who is young, capable of showing a uh, really impressive off movement shooting and like pull up shooting and stuff like that. Just really impressive stuff for a young point guard, but he was tiny. And there was this tweet that went around like three or four weeks ago saying Tyrell Terry before he was 6'1", 160 pounds. Now we think he's 6'3", and 175. And based on that, for like a a single day, my timeline exploded with Tyrell Terry stuff about like, oh, he's got the pull-up jumper. He's going to break offenses at the next level. He's got, you know, he's got the Steph Curry cheat code or whatever. Obviously, if we're even talking about him going, you know, still potentially being a reach at the 10th overall pick, I think that's that's overkill and we you know we're not actually going to compare him to Steph Curry on this podcast um but do you buy the hype at all with Tyrell Terry like do you see it at all or is this just some ridiculous like are people just far too bored with the draft at this point and they're basically just inventing new narratives with like two or three weeks to go yes and no I do think Terry is another one of the advanced stats kind of darlings uh like you said the shot so for me the shot is going to be is like obviously this is a very simple statement but his shot is going to be a selling point and i say that because he shot 41 percent from the three and 89 percent from the line obviously uh but that's not even close to what he could do like he's mm. fixed his base where he kicked out his legs so much which is easily my biggest pet peeve um for shooters he kicks out his base all the time and he still shot 41 percent. like this is a guy who could be one of the best most efficient shooters in the league However, that doesn't always mean star upside. I mean, Seth Curry is one of the most efficient shooters in the league. Uh, and I said Seth for if I spoke a little bit fast there. <laughs> you did, but, you did. And like, he's not a star. So like, it, it's, he's young, obviously, and he'll keep adding weight. And what I've heard uh, actually is that, so he grew from 6'1 to 6'3 and a quarter. Uh, and now his, and his wingspan is even. He's at 6'3. Uh, and that he's also up to 180 because now he he's finally working with uh, I think it's Olympic training or something like that. Like he had never even had a professional training um, team in at Stanford. It was a pretty weak, uh, not to 
crap on the program, of course, but it just wasn't, it wasn't a pro training organ. Uh, what's it called? Uh, you know, it wasn't just pro training. That's what I'm going to sure. say is I'm blanking on the word. So it's obviously like, I think he's a guy who you don't see the production that you want until the second contract. So that's a big risk. Like that's a huge risk for a team and, to take. Like you have to be someone who need who can be patient. And so just be honest with me. Like I've seen him shoot up boards into the sun's range recently where that wasn't conceivable to me before. Like, I feel like a couple months ago I was, I was seeing him maybe not even in the first round or if he was in the first round, he'd be in the 20 to 30 range. Now I'm starting to see more people put him 10 to 15. And I feel like 10 where the suns are is like basically his ceiling but technically possible that they select a guy like him there. Do you think that's crazy? Where do you personally have him on your board? Uh, so I have him uh, as one of my highest second round ratings. Uh, I have uh-huh. him 33. It's there just it because that de- like, there's a lot of people, there's a, there's very few people I should say that, you know, a lot of people tr- criticize Trey Young for his defense. Right. And they say, Oh, well, you can be as good as offense as he wants. He's still the worst defender. Like he, it doesn't outweigh it. And so people don't even put him like in the top 30, even though like that's nonsense to me. Then you get guys who are, I mean, if you're in that bad defensive range, you have to be Trey Young to make up for it. And like I said, Tyrell Terry is not going to be above that defensive range. He's just not, he was a bad defender at Stanford. Um, he, he's going to be really bad on defense. I don't know if his shot can outweigh it because I'm not sure that he's going to be this mega shot creator. Cause I think that's yeah. what you have to be when you're that small. Uh, and he's an off ball guard, I think right away. So it's, he has right. to really be surrounded by the right team. Right. I think it's really interesting for him, uh, just how big of a difference that report made in so many people's minds. And by the way, Sam, I just want to clarify the report about him growing and putting on muscle is from Jonathan Wasserman, who's part of the blue wire podcast. Oh, network. is so, it? Okay. So we know it's a hundred percent accurate just based on that alone. Uh, but I think it's interesting when people look at like the Suns picking uh, him, which is not something people have talked about yet. Although I I don't hate it just by watching what I've seen, uh, but I think it's still a reach. It, people would consider it a reach kind of universally there. And I think part of the reason they would look at it like that is because of the Suns track record in development, uh, sort of outside of Devin Booker uh, over the last five years is not very great. Now they've had some success recently with DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges, but not enough to convince a lot of people that they can sort of absorb somebody like Tyrell Terry that might be a little bit of a project. But the type of skills he has are so, so good. Like, for example, if the Celtics took him at 14th, is that the type of thing where it would actually like kind of scare you, Rich? Or do you still think uh, it's still going to take so much for him to be good? Because like the Celtics have a good track record. They have time. They can probably bring him along a little bit slowly and then try to develop him into a player. Like, what do you think his ceiling would be in that case? Yeah, I, I do think Boston's one of the teams that gets a lot out of him because think about how much defense they have on that team. It really makes him as good as he should be. That would be, like, for me, the ranking for him is so team-dependent. You could put him top 20, top 25 for me. If, like, on a, on a team-by-team board, there's some teams where he's in the top 20. Um, and I think Boston is probably actually that best case. Because you look at what they've done with who, and I don't know how to say this nicely, but Brad Wanamaker is not that good. Like he, compared to the average NBA player, he is below average in my opinion. And they still made him a capable backup point guard. But that is incredible work by Brad Stevens. And I think they can easily repeat that and make Tyrell Terry an above average, you know, backup point guard at the least. 
uh, even with his yeah. defensive woes. Like that is so, that is a perfect team for him. So if if we basically take it at face value that this is a guy, even if he's six three now, he's grown into his body and is going to be a liability on defense, right? We're, we're going to take that at face value. The critical question to me of whether he lives up to a lottery pick or not is the playmaking. So what? Let's talk about that. What do you think about the playmaking, Rich? Like my understanding again is that not he's a simple pick and roll guy at this point, not exactly making advanced reads, but again young. Um, so do you think he can develop to the point where he really feels comfortable as as a lead ball handler, or or is he more kind of relegated to an off ball role? Because like if the playmaking doesn't come along, you know, sorry to make another comparison here, but like. Another NBA comparison, I guess, like a, I imagine a low level outcome for a guy like Tyrell Terry, a guy who's just a defensive liability. And all he can really do is like come in, hit a few threes and and kind of not play make. And that's it. Like a Bryn Forbes or something, you know, like an undersized guy who's like, maybe that's a positive. Probably it's like a veteran minimum guy after his first contract, you know. So like, can he play make to the point where he's actually a, an, a real impact NBA player? Right. And, and that is exactly my concern uh, that what if he's just an off ball player that you can't run him as a passer. I mean, he does put there are a lot of passes that he made that were pretty impressive with how much velocity he put on it in such a tight window where it was kind of eye opening. It was some non-conference games. Uh, and I think like in January is like when he really put it on uh, the beginning of conference play. Uh, again, I've, I've overwatched games like this. is It's bad, but I, uh, <laughs> the fact that I could just spit that out is, uh, not, not, I'm not happy about that. Um, but <laughs> like, that is kind of what I've thought about. It's like, what if he's just Bryn Forbes or actually very similarly named another guy I had who was an off ball point guard. that was horrendous on defense and only had like a six, seven year career or five year career was Brian Roberts. Like he shot 36% from three and he shot 94% from the line. But he wasn't a good player. That doesn't automatically make you a good player. You know. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're like if you're six two and you're playing shooting guard, that's like a really bad sign already. You know. Right, and that's both those guys, and that is both those guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I believe in him. I I think that first of all, he shot forty eight percent on catch and shoot threes, so he's not just like a good off ball shooter. Like he has potential to be one of the best off ball shooters in the NBA coming into the NBA. And the 41% overall includes a lot of shots off the dribble. He And the shots he was shooting off dribble, I think, were the type of shots that you need to be a good NBA player, specifically in the pick and roll. He shoots when you go under. He shoots every time. And there's not a lot of college programs that allow players to shoot when, when they're going under on that pick and roll. And this is a guy who's going to come to the NBA with experience doing that over and over and over again. And I think that's valuable. The other part is on pick and rolls. I've seen him get to the rim pretty well for, for somebody at his size. Maybe that's an unrealistic thing to translate to the NBA, but I do think that his ability to turn the corner around a screen will open up a lot of avenues to playmake in the future. And he's made some smart enough passes to know that that type of penetration uh, can turn into good plays in the future. I, I might be just overanalyzing because I just like players like this in general. I mean, you have reason to. Like, this is the skill. Like right. obviously it's overrated. You can't compare every guy who, who can shoot as a point guard to Steph Curry or Trey Young, but, <laughs> but this is the skill that breaks the game and, and his shooting is legit. Like watching him bury contested threes. He is yeah. not afraid. He's he not afraid. Shoot, to do- it's not 48% on catch and shoot threes that are easy. Like he's not standing there wide open. He's taking yeah, no. the tough threes. He's, he's, he's got balls. He, he's got, 
He's got balls for sure with some of the shots that he takes. I don't know. It's like, remember a few years back when the Suns had Seth Curry and we didn't do anything with him in a 10 day contract. And then he left. And then a couple years later, he became a good player. Right. Maybe if you trust in the culture of this team now, like maybe you, you believe that like a mid level scenario for Tyrell Terry is that he does become a player like that. Right. Like you, you can kind of develop him into that sort of player. That's like a great six man spark plug. It's still not your future starting point guard, you know, in the post Ricky Rubio era, um, era exactly though. Yeah. I, I mean, do I you, know. do you agree with that Rich? It seems like yeah, you're lower and, on mean, him than both of us. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's, and I, I just really worry about the weight. I mean, the, the, the physical frame just concerns me. And I, I was going to say that, I mean, I, I realized, first of all, I never answered your question about draft range. Like shooting is at a premium in this league. Like as much as everyone can shoot, being a very high level shooter is always going to be sought after skill. And I think that's going to be valuable on draft night. Um, but what, what you said though, with the catch and shoot, I mean, his, shot is so quick he has a yes. very quick release right and and you know a lot of the teams in the pac-12 ran a zone and he exploited it so much he would shoot a solid two three feet behind the line which is a deep nba three too uh and i mean it would be contested open i mean he would he was hitting a lot of deep like way deep threes and that factors into it on the catch and shoot so i mean the shot is 100 percent real I also like just the offense that the Suns run already. Like the Suns are the, were the already the best transition offense, maybe the best transition offense team in the NBA. I think it was either top five or, or maybe they were literally the most efficient. Um, Terry's a guy who can push in transition and just fire off pull up threes, you know, before the defense even knows what hit him. Or you give the ball to Devin Booker, you have him run off movement. Um, the, the, you know, Booker has so much gravity that whoever's guarding Terry loses him for a second, looks back over, and suddenly, you know, they're they're getting nailed by a pin down, and, and he and never Terry's stops moving. Three, right. And he buries it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it really is offensively a very interesting fit. But man, it, I mean, if all he's going to do on defense is die on screens and then like get taken out of a play <laughs> yeah. every time, right. you know. <laughs> I never think about defense. This is part of my problem when watching these guys. Because uh, <laughs> it's hard to, it's really hard to predict uh, translating defense to the NBA. It's difficult for, for me. Obviously, Rich, I think you're better at it. So I'm going to trust your judgment on that. I just, I also think that the, the off ball movement, like that's a skill too. And like he has that sort of Steph Curry level uh, brain when it comes to that type of off ball movement with the luxury of being able to actually watch someone like Steph Curry that sort of revolutionized it in a lot of interesting ways. Uh, and he does that. He does that really well, that sort of relocation thing. So, you know, I I'm high on him. I'm probably wrong, but I, I do think that he's <laughs> being a pretty good player. And I, and I think part of that is just knowing too much about this draft. Now, another guy that you're not super high on, <laughs> we have to talk about. And I think it's interesting your Tyrese Halliburton, uh, takes are different than a lot of people, but you know, maybe not so different than, than, than some other smart people as well. Uh, from what I've seen, <laughs> you seem to be lower on him than a lot of people. Why, why is that? So, I mean, it first starts with the jump shot that he has the numbers. Like he, I think Sam, you said it, that he's an advanced stats darling, right? Uh, for me, the stats and eye test just never matched up. Obviously. Now I say that, I was at his best game, arguably the best game of any prospect this year when he put a 20-point triple-double on TCU. Um, and, I mean, his talent around him was pretty bad. The fact that he did all that was insane. But the jump shot, I really don't know how much he can get off uh, the shot in the NBA, uh, considering he really, I mean, and I mean this in the nicest way, he cannot shoot off the dribble. 
Um, like it is, it is a very bad, that is where his shot is far away at the worst. Uh, so he's not beating anybody off the dribble as well. Like he's not getting to the rim easily. If you know he gets the ball, he's doing one of two things. He's spot up shooting, which you can just hard close on, uh, or you, he's going to pass, which don't get me wrong. His passing is phenomenal. It's just a lot of his, his limitations really hurt. Uh, and it just completely takes away his strengths, I think. So that's, yeah, that's what I've heard from a lot of people. It's just, it's the Ricky Rubio problem again. And, and I think it's actually kind of an interesting case study with, with Halliburton's fit in Phoenix specifically, because it's like, on the one hand, I hear you, what good does a point guard do who, I, I mean, you know, advanced stats wise, he's great. He gets to the rim. I, he plays Mori ball. He gets to the rim. He's very efficient at the rim. He hits catch and shoot threes. He's very efficient with catch and shoot threes. But he's the, got the long tr- arms. He's, he's got he's got, and so does Rubio. So, you know, mm. Rubio's this this six nine wingspan and, and whatnot. But say say what you're gonna say, Rich. I was gonna say I've heard mixed things about that. I've heard he has like a plus one. It's just the skinny. I've I've heard I've really? heard it's close to seven feet, and I've heard it's plus one. So I don't know what to believe. The skinniness the can fuck? be deceiving. Well, I, I will look, send a, I'll send a photo. Yeah, yeah, it's the skinniness is deceiving. I've skinny- seen him up close, and I, I noticed it, and I was like, they they don't go that far down. Like I my, mean, my arm, I have long arms. Like I have yeah. a plus six wingspan. Like not to get in, I'm not comparing myself to anybody, but <laughs> I'm about to recruit you. My, my arms go down the. My arms go down to my knees. His did not go down to his knees. Obviously, it's different uh, scale, right. but like his arms were not that long. He's just skinny. You got a plus six. Yeah. You got a plus six, Richie. Yeah. Can yeah, you shoot? It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> are you like a Are you like a Lou Dort garbage man type? Uh, I can shoot in practice. I can't shoot in games. <laughs> okay. So exactly. Mental. <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting that you describe his game. He sounds like a good fit next to Devin Booker. If you're factoring in right. the fact that he's a plus defender, I think that's that's a that's a big thing here. Well, and and that was my original point. Is is just sorry to quickly go back to it, but like everyone questioned the fit of Ricky Rubio with Devin. I'm not saying that Halliburton is going to be Ricky Rubio. I'm just saying there are a lot of things that you could describe about both of their games that I think we can all admit are similar. And a lot of people question that fit of Rubio next to Booker. And then we saw it this year and it worked. It, it obviously worked. You gave Booker a player who maybe he couldn't finish too well at the rim. Maybe he didn't have the in-between game, the, the kind of natural creation um, for himself that you wanted, but the vision was sufficient playing the passing lanes and, and breaking up, you know, being disruptive as a defender was sufficient um, to where the pairing, when, when those two played on the court at the same time, it was amazing. And so on the one hand, Rich, I do hear you, but on the other hand, I have heard other people say, well, if Halliburton's going to go anywhere next to Devin Booker sounds like a great fit for him in particular. Yeah. And, and his job would be pretty simple. Um, it, it would be all of his strengths. Uh, kind of like you said, you know, I mean, the Ricky Rubio problem, I mean, I, even at the beginning, I, I don't know how good of an on-ball defender he will be, though, uh, at the beginning of his career. So, I mean, he's just so skinny. Right. He needs right. to add weight. Mm-hmm. And that's, it really limits that because off-ball, like, I mean, he is a pest. Uh, and even on-ball, he knows how to get in guys' heads, which is an incredibly underrated skill as a defender. Um, so he's going to be a really good team defender, but I really worry about how much how effective he can be without, you know, at his current frame. Uh, that, that is, uh, you know, a big question mark for me. All right. Hold on. I'm going to tweet out real quick that Rich said that Tyrese Halliburton has T-Rex arms and he can't shoot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we just get that out there. I, I just sent y'all, I just sent y'all the video that I took uh, at TC, the, the triple double game where you can kind of see his arms aren't that long. 
I mean, uh, you can look at pictures of him and they so, don't look that long, which is kind yeah, of... Yeah, it's... I mean, it's like yeah. how Ma- Kelly Oubre has a longer wingspan than Mikhail Bridges somehow. You would never think what? that based on looking yeah. at both of them. Seven, yeah, 2 to 7-1. You know yep. Yeah, Isn't but Mikhail's so skinny. I mean, yeah, that's... That's the, exactly guess. that's exactly what you were talking about, Rich. It's that Mikhail is so skinny that he's just... I don't know. What do you think but is... What do you think his ceiling is, though? Like, I think this is right. an important thing because, you know, we're sort of talking about how he's going to come into the NBA, and I still think he'll he'll be pretty good. Uh, I have been lower on him than I think a lot of other people have as well. Uh, but you know, you're even lower than me, <laughs> I think, on him. Uh, what do you think his ceiling would be going forward? Like, how do you think he'll develop once he's in that sort of NBA training mechanism and actually with the team? It's so hard to say. It's it's he's a, such a unique player. Uh, I had two guys as a ceiling, and one was considerably lower than the other, but it was more based on the stats, not the actual impact. Because uh, you're you're going to see it in two different ways if you look at it stats versus impact. Uh, so the first one, the lower end one with the good stats, not the great impact, is Lonzo Ball. Uh, you know, mm. a lot of the similar similar overlapping uh, traits, similar weaknesses, similar strengths, uh, unconventional form made it work this year the upside and this is a very low hanging one and i'm sorry to use this because it's honestly terrible but i'm still going to say it is that he shows and i'm not going to directly compare him but shades of what shea gilders alexander does that's his best case scenario Yeah, i've heard that before and it's it's bad it's bad to directly compare him but there's there's really no comparison for him and the other guy i used is a floor which is dewan wright who it's hard to say anything higher than a floor for him after what he did with the maps this year. So, <laughs> right. But, but Delon Wright, you know, is yeah. not, I mean, that's a backup. It's a backup for many yeah. years. What that about like a, like a Malcolm Brogdon? Is that possible? Like kind of an off ball guard, but maybe the yeah. vision is better with Halliburton. That's, I don't know. But like yeah, a shooter. He's gotten pretty good at creating his own shot though. Uh, and maybe Tyrese well, can he, do that. But... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon also came into the league at 24. So he's, he's already pretty old now. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, and Halliburton, I mean, he he is going to do a lot. I, I think he's a really hard worker. I've heard that from a lot of people that he, I mean, he busts his ass. Like, the guy is going to work, and he's going to get better. That's I do think that's a big reason where the gap is. Is I, I don't want to say I didn't factor it in. It, always, it doesn't always pop out. Again, you know, when you're watching film, 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 whatever, like, you kind of forget about the intangibles and things like that that go behind the scenes, why draft workouts are so important, because you can kind of see all that stuff, uh, like, in, on display, quote, unquote. So I, I do think that he has a high work ethic and it'll help him. Like y'all said, I mean, he's got like Brogdon got better at creation. Halberton definitely could too. Can I just ask, I'm not doubting your assessment of it, but like you hear the, <laughs> you hear the term. No, I, I promise I'm not. You hear the term like high character guy. He's, he's a high work ethic guy. Uh, you want to bet on guys like that, right? You hear that term thrown around yeah. so much. Is there anyone in this class who's like a low work ethic guy, like that people know of? Uh, so I, I would never say anybody, but I mean, the rumor, the the one name, and this is the most low hanging one. You could probably guess who I'm going to say is James Wiseman. People I was going to guess that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, he kind of quit halfway one, through the but, season. <laughs> but, and it wasn't even his fault though. The, the narrative, right. it's a narrative that the NCAA just straight up screwed him. And they're like, oh, pff, terrible work ethic. Work ethic. <laughs> like, it's not his fault. I mean, I, I, I haven't heard that. That stuff usually doesn't get leaked. Uh, the only other one also would be maybe Cole Anthony, but I, uh, because, I mean, he's that's been a that's why he's been following is just intangibles. I don't know if it's work ethic or not, uh, but he is the one guy Interesting. that has been publicly following because of that. I don't know how true it is, but yeah, he's he's one of the reasons everyone wants to trade down 
at the top of the draft. Uh, they're not, they're not believing him in him. You know, that's interesting. So let's say the Suns have the 10th pick, right? They, they don't move. Well, first of all, actually how much, how willing should the Suns be to move up for a guy like Killian Hayes? Say he's dropping down uh, in a range where the Suns could potentially move up. Is that something they should even look at? Or do you think the difference between, what they can get at the 10th pick and what Killian Hayes will be is not necessarily worth sacrificing any sort of future asset. Keep in mind, you don't have to take a point guard. You know, Devin Vassell could still yep. be there at 10. Right. Isaac yep. Okoro could still that, be there at 10. So That was actually the route I was going to go. I was going to say, if you can't get Killian Sorry. Hayes, uh, no, you're good. I mean, I would take Cole Anthony. Uh, I, I do think oh. his talent outweighs everything. Uh, I, I think at 10, he's, he's my fifth best player. He's unbelievably talented. Maybe the work ethic... Who knows if it's real, if it's smoke. Uh, I do think that his talent, just it's too good to pass up at 10. Uh, personally, there's three other guys I would take, and they're all wings or forwards, which are Devin Vassell, Patrick Williams, and Isaac Okora. But I don't, I don't know if any of them will actually be there at that point. Do you want to sell us on Patrick Williams real quick? Because he's, he's a wing, um, and I know I've seen you mock him to Phoenix before. Um, but he's young and and maybe doesn't have necessarily the statistical success to back him up. But again, he's right. a really young player. So how does that factor in um, to your consideration? Yeah, so I think he's one of the highest IQ players in the draft. Uh, and then you consider the fact that he's, I think, 6'9", 6'8", uh, kind of combo forward, which is a super sought after position Yeah, uh, with a really good frame. You know, he's really athletic. Um, he's a thick boy. And <laughs> and, and he's super raw is the scary thing. He's raw with a high IQ, which is, to me, that oozes unbelievable upside. Uh, I, I think that ever since Draymond Green came in the league, and I'm not comparing him because they're not the same at all. Uh, ever since Draymond Green came in the league, though, this combo forward that can do everything is a super sought after position. That's what I think he can do. When he there, I heard on one of the broadcasts that he went to FSU to learn how to play defense under Leonard, uh, Leonard Hamilton. And his defense is really good for someone who didn't know how to play defense, which to me, just again, it's all about the upside. And I don't see why he wouldn't be able to get there. I don't buy the shot. I don't think he needs to be a good offensive player in terms of scoring to be good. You know, he's great at everything else. Well, I will say something that Suns fans will like is a lot of people have compared him to PJ Tucker. So, I mean, if he can be that, uh, you got to love it. The funny thing about that is PJ Tucker wasn't even drafted and then made his way all over the league. <laughs> Uh, he was he was in the he was taken in the second round. Oh, he, he was. That's right. Yeah, but he had he, one year with uh, Toronto. That's right. And then he left uh, to to play all over the world, and then came back and 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 the Suns gave him that chance that he needed. Um, so let's say okay. So you think that it's better for the Suns to just keep the pick at the ten? Say they do want to pick a point guard. All three of these other guys are available. It sounds like you're leaning towards the Suns picking Kira Lewis Jr. Right. 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 If. I mean, if, if all of those guys say Killian Hayes is gone and then every, like, if all the other guys that we talked about are there um, and say, I mean, man, this is going to be, I, I would take Patrick Williams against over all of those. I mean, like I would, wow. I would first look, I would first look at if Killian Hayes is gone, I would, I would look at just best player regardless of position, uh, which yeah. isn't a knock on any of these other guys. It's just, no, of don't course take, it's like, I, I don't think you should always take what you need just because you need it. Uh, because I don't know. It's it's risky at ten. I, I think. I think the the range is just wild. Well, you're giving us a nice transition into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Then, <laughs> so say the Suns do pick a forward, which I think is is possible. 
likely, I think, or, you know, I would call it 50-50 even with the point guard. I don't think the Suns feel like there's any major pressure to find a point guard right now. I think point there's a lot of point guards available in the NBA. There's other ways to get guys if they need them. Uh, say they do end up with the forward, they do need a backup point guard still. The Suns were... That's like the worst position on the Suns uh, in this last season was the backup point guard. There was so much uh, different guys getting minutes. Nobody carved out any sort of role until Javon Carter found a way to play sort of off ball. Cameron Payne came and saved the day as a player who is now, I believe, ended the season as the highest, the player with the highest net rating of any player in the NBA, uh, just from his eight games in the bubble. That's what Cameron Payne ended up being. But that's still a position that we look at on this podcast as a position that needs to be upgraded, even though Cameron Payne could be retained. You are a Mavs fan. You are an honorary Suns fan, but you are also a real Suns fan, a real Suns fan, (laughs) a real Suns fan. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Buying another Suns jersey as we're talking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're also from Orlando. You lived in Orlando and you're a, a magic. You follow the magic. You're a magic fan as well. One of the guys that we've sort of thrown around as a possible player for the backup point guard position is DJ Augustine. We are releasing soon a video on our YouTube channel, breaking down uh, his fit with the Phoenix Suns or just the type of player that he is as well. He's a free agent. Do you think that Orlando is going to try to keep DJ Augustine? And if they don't, how do you see him as a fit on the Phoenix Suns? So I know Orlando fans don't want him back uh, because they don't like anybody taking minutes over young players. Uh, this is just Orlando fans in general. They're they're Floridians. I don't think I need to you know talk about how <laughs> Florida uh, people are are. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I like him. I think Orlando likes him too because he willingly took a backseat for Markel Fultz. Like he's very good for the culture, uh, and he had the most important shot in Magic last eight. 10 years history uh, so <laughs> against Toronto. So I, I, I personally would like to keep him. Uh, I think he'd be good, but uh, Phoenix would be really good. I think he could fill in for what campaign did. Uh, obviously not necessarily at that efficiency because that apparently was elite. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to promise that from him, but I, I do like him. He's not going to be a good defender uh, by any right. means. Like if you're trying to get a defensive minded one, not him, but he's a good shooter. Uh, and he's really good for development for other guards. I mean, that's, I think if you hear things come out of Orlando, you, you'll never hear anything bad about him from the locker room. I mean, he's loved mm-hmm. there. Can, can I just say, you, you said, uh, you, you were talking about them being Floridians and, and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sauntered on, I sauntered on over to the magic subreddit the other day. And I just want to say, if you're ever a Suns fan, who's, who's not feeling too great about the position that we're in Dude. right now as a fan base, <laughs> That that was that was truly a desolate place full of bitter people, if I've ever seen one. And I can't say I can't say I blame them. Um, you know, like Jonathan Isaac now being out for probably another twelve months or whatever. Um, they just they just have so far to go. Um, but I think it bodes well. It seems for the Suns' uh, potential to poach a guy like Augustine for the mid level exception and free agency. It'd be a really good yeah, idea. Yeah. Not- I think he can almost get vent minimum. I mean, who knows with what the market Whoa. Uh, provides? I that's mean, it's a just, steal. No, I you're right. Uh, he could. I, yeah, I don't well, think that's COVID, insane either. With COVID, who knows what guys are going to be getting now? Yeah. I, I mean, with Christian Wood only be apparently getting nine million. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I refuse <laughs> to believe that. Seen, that's yeah. that's not going to happen yeah, no, because no, no, I personally totally. will offer Robert Sarver's money 
to him. <laughs> I'll up the offer myself. Uh, I just think, yeah. I mean, I guess if it, if he's gonna, this is my fear with Christian Wood, by the way, who went on Instagram Live and asked people on Instagram what team he should go to. So it sounds like he has written then, Detroit out of his plans here. And then went off live within a minute, apparently. Yeah, because yeah, so he got says, a FaceTime from his agent saying, what the hell are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but if he really is going to go for the mid-level exception, then we're looking at Christian Wood on the Warriors or Christian Wood on the Lakers. Like this is this is what we're oh, looking at. And yeah, God, that's a disaster. No. <laughs> like I, I, this is why I don't think it's going to happen. I, I don't think the Detroit Pistons, who have thirty five million dollars in cap space and do own his early bird rights, are going to allow him to go for the mid level exception and play on the Warriors. What like, do they how, care? How the Pistons sell- aren't going to compete for another five years at least. How could they Surely, sell that they to care? their fan base, though, who they need to watch games at the very least? Or maybe they don't. Maybe now that arenas might be closed, they're not as worried about the next season or two. Uh, they're just going to punt on uh, on that extra money. But I just think it's difficult to sell any sort of plan uh, to your team if, if you're going to do that. And, and same for any other team that has cap space like Atlanta, who could have got him for like $12 million if he's going for 9 Like, why not? Just take a chance on him and see if he's he's a good player at that point, but who knows what's going to happen there with DJ Augustine though. I, w- I want to get back to that. You talk about maybe he'll go for the vet minimum. He's 33. Do you think that there's any chance that he's on the verge of just being awful <laughs> at some point? But here's, this no. is my fear. Cause no. I think in general, I watch him play and I think this is a steady hand. This is a guy who understands how to control an offense. He's obviously not ultra athletic. He's not going to be a plus defender, but he's also not going to screw up a lot. Like he's just not offensively going to make a Mm -hmm. ton of mistakes. A lot of these guys at some point, point guards, they just become awful (laughs) at some point. They just stop. They lose all of their abilities to be good because that first step slows down just enough that most NBA defenders can now contain them. Do you think that DJ Augustine is three years away from that? Or do you think he's, a year, a year and a half away from that. So I would normally have said this year wouldn't have fallen off uh, just because there were so many times, uh, actually, even in the playoffs, he was still, if I'm not mistaken, he was still showing a quick first step where he was just beating guys yeah. off the mm-hmm. dribble. Um, I, it, the timeline definitely does hurt him. Uh, no pun intended, actually. <laughs> with this, uh, <laughs> the timeline, though, of the NBA season definitely did, did not do him favors. And that's why I do think uh, that he could be a vet minimum guy uh, is who knows what his first step will be like, even in six months. Um, I, I do think that is a concern. I think next year would probably be his last year having that first step, but uh, I, I do think he could play another three years right. at the least. That is still a, uh, not like Tyson Chandler, you know, you know, Tyson Chandler has been around like just floating. I think he's, uh, I don't know why I just picked on him of all people. He's a Mavs. Like, I'm, I don't know hey, why. Well, Suns fans will love it. <laughs> Because so, yeah, the Suns yeah, remember okay, the Suns. That's why, that's why remember I the Suns. This is actually kind of funny in hindsight. Uh, James Jones cut Tyson Chandler, and and then the Lakers immediately signed him. And everyone was like, "Oh my god, the Suns are so stupid." James Jones is doing. <laughs> this is gonna put the Lakers over the top. They're gonna make the finals now, and then 
all Suns fans were saying, like, actually, no, I, I think that's not true. He, he's defensive bad player of the year. Tyson <laughs> he can't Chandler play defense anymore. With and then LeBron. essentially, he's played like three games since then. <laughs> he just can't <laughs> get into the NBA anymore. I uh, sometimes when I'm watching a Houston game, I see a shot of him on the bench, and I'm like, he's still there. Like, yeah. he just does not. Play. <laughs> well, supposedly he helped Daniel House uh, sneak somebody into the hotel, so uh, he still has a role, I guess. Here's what I want to say about um. Here's here's what I want to say about Augustine. Um, with regard to him potentially being awful next season, if you look at the stats, the shooting efficiency plummeted this year. But when you dive down into the splits, uh, like a lot of that was pull up shooting. Like his pull up shooting, he shot close to forty percent on pull up threes last season. This season, it went all the way down to thirty percent. I think a lot of it is noise. I looked at it on a year by year basis. And I think a lot of it is just kind of that small sample size stuff. Like he's going to get back up to speed. He's just such a savvy player. Um, it, it, like you already said, Mike, I mean, just his level of poise. I think if you offer Augustina one plus one, you can't possibly go wrong doing that. Now, if you're going to give him three years of like $8 million a year, that that's overkill to me. And, and, and then maybe by the end of year three, he's, you know, this fat, kind of bloated expiring contract that you're hoping to get off in some sort of trade with another team, but a one plus one or, or, or even a two-year deal, I don't think there's any way where he's just playing in either season, even if he's like 35 years old, he's not going to be playing at the level of Elliot Kobo this year. He's not going to be playing at the level of Ty Jerome this year. I just don't see a universe where he's that bad. I hope you're right. <laughs> if he ends up on the Suns, uh, I hope you're right. And I think you are. I, I, and I do think you are. I think I'm just... As a Suns fan, I think I'm still a little scarred by, um, I don't know, you know who, Trevor Ariza. I guess I don't. I have to say it. I don't have to say it, but now I did. Uh, I think we covered a lot of point guards <laughs> on this podcast. Chris Paul, Killian Hayes, Tyrell Terry, Tyrese Halliburton, Kira Lewis Jr., and DJ Augustine. The Suns, I think the, the moral of the story is the Suns have a lot of options going into next season, and I think it is really important what they do with the options they have. And I even think there's a chance that they could sign somebody. If he goes for the vet minimum, then it's no question like DJ Augustine and still take a player uh, like Kira Lewis jr. In the draft and try to develop uh, somebody like Kira Lewis jr. With mentors in Ricky Rubio and DJ Augustine. So it could be interesting, rich. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, obviously a friend of the podcast, uh, the only person that still plays 2K20 with me now that <laughs> everyone's moved on to 2K21. Now we can dominate, though. Uh, do you have anything that you would like to promote? Uh, nothing uh, nothing in particular, but I do just want to say I'm sorry to everybody because I uh, I had Elio Kobo as my 14th ranked player in, tw- in 2018. I still I would, why would you do that? I still why would believe. you just... I bought in. I bought into, I bought into, he had like a 40 point game overseas. I'm like, oh my God, this game like showed it all. And I was off. I was, well, let me say, I I actually, yeah, I remember that exact game because that's the game that all Suns fans fell for too. And, and he was in most people's boards around like the 20 ish range. So, so you're not alone there. Yeah. Um, Like everyone thought him at 31 was a steal. I have not completely given up as much as I pick on Ellie. I did have the thought the other day. I think there's a decent chance that Elio Kobo becomes like a solid backup point guard still. I just think it's most likely not going to be the Suns who have the who who have the privilege of taking that chance on him because I think they do need to clear up roster spots and they're going to go for the sure thing instead. But I think some other team might end up with Elliot Kobo, plug him into their system. Mm. 
he still has the tools. I think he could do it. Um, I'm not saying there's like a high chance that he can do it, but compare him to a guy like Ty Jerome. I think there's a big difference between those two guys. Yeah. He'll be, uh, he'll be starting on the OKC Thunder next year when Chris Paul starts for the season. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with more. is awesome but it's also a lot of work the good news finding help for your projects is easier than ever introducing angie the app that puts all your home care needs at your fingertips need a pro to fix that emergency leak maybe find someone to build a deck or even set your seasonal tasks on autopilot angie can handle all that and more expert pros hundreds of home projects clear pricing and the easiest way to book and pay in seconds this is angie your home for everything home download the app today